Hello, folks out there. This episode of the podcast is partnered by Audible. Greg, you know what I love about Audible? What do you love about Audible, I don't have to pick up a book anymore and carry it around with me. In fact, I carry it around in my phone, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They literally keep thousands of titles right on your phone, accessible at any time, when you're driving, when you're cooking, when you're mowing the lawn, changing a diaper, doesn't matter. It's all right there at your fingertips, John. They've got podcasts, they've got lectures, they've got some like health and wellness and like fitness series on there that if you just are looking for something to fill that gap, like you're not getting into a book right now, it's all there for you, man. If you're a member, Greg, what's cool about it is you get three titles per month. The first one, you can pick whatever you want. Like I've said, I'll probably start hitting up some of those health and wellness books. And then what's awesome is they have two Audible exclusives exclusives folks you can't get it anywhere else it's true that is very true so if you guys want to get on the audible train you can go to audibletrial.com slash j-a-t-g that stands for johnny and the greg hook yourself up with a 30-day free trial no promises no nothing if you don't like it which i can't imagine you're not going to like it um it, you can cancel at any time but the great thing about that is the books you get during your free trial or if at any time those books are yours like you get to keep them you can listen to them non-stop anytime all the time sounds like a deal to me man so if you guys are smart like i know you guys are because you already listened to this podcast sign yourself up guys what do you got to lose it's 30-day free trial yeah. and it's books it's knowledge you gotta drink it up it is so one more time, it is audibletrial.com slash J-A-T-G. Hello out there, everybody listening to the Johnny and the Greg podcast. Greg, we have with us Pat's hand. Uh, Close, close. Oh, I believe it's, it's, it's not that. It's Pat Shand. Oh, it's Pat Shand. Sorry. Pat Shand. Sorry. Sorry. Just uh, kidding, folks. Yes. Comic book writer extraordinary. He's worked on some great stuff. Uh, I, I got to know his work on Zenoscope, but he's also worked on books like Cross. He's got a new deal coming out with Black Mask Studios. And he's got a, a book right out. Uh, volume 4 is coming. And it's Destiny New York. So that's what brought him out initially. We talk about that quickly. And then we just get into a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, and guys, this is another long one. Um, and if you want to fast forward, we get into the gauntlet where I feel, and this is just my personal thing. I feel that he more of Pat's personality came out and we just started shooting the shit. So it's kind of a technical side of, of the business and how he looks at it through his creative lens. And then it gets into just three guys just shooting the shit. So without further ado, guys, Pat Shand. Hey, Greg, who do we got with us today? Hi, John. We're here with Pat Shant. He is a comic book writer. Uh, and we were just talking about this. I We had met years ago, um, I believe, at Motor City Comic Con. Um, and you were doing, I think, a lot of Zenoscope books at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be where I got to 
kind of get into your work. Um, Zenoscope being one of those companies that really came out of nowhere for me, doing like the Grimm's fairy tales and and kind of the retelling of those classic uh, classic fairy tales that we all kind of liked through Disney. But Zenoscope took a different take on it, uh, more of the original takes, I think. Yeah, they uh they started out um with with the intention of essentially um you know staying more true to the originals and doing the grim story you know as as horror comics. Yeah. But um you know it's been as they've published they've um they they've taken different shapes you know like um or when I came in they began to do this um more interconnected type storytelling and mm-hmm. they I mean they they've become one of I mean if not the biggest indie superhero universe that there is yeah. you know they yeah. um uh grim itself has been going for um when i left the run i did issue 125 and they rebooted it with a new issue one and they're only 50 now so it's yeah. this long-running indie series that um you know pe- people don't really realize that it's a superhero universe you know mm-hmm. um but yeah it's developed into that and it's been fun watching it kind of like take different modes you know it, it's been um the main title has been a prison story. It's been a fantasy saga. It's been an X-Men type story when I was on it. And now it's this, um, it's kind of like back to the roots of fairy tale with, with a bit of the superhero spice mixed in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's been great. I, and I discovered it, uh, through, uh, the pullbox.com where, uh, my buddy Eric and I founded that website and our focus was always independent comics. So yeah. we, we hooked up with Zenoscope early. I think at one point, uh, in our history there, uh, my buddy Eric had reviewed every single issue of Grim Fairy Tales for like a really big run and yeah. got the attention of actually Raven Gregory was like, you guys have been like longtime supporters of us. And it was just really cool to see that. But but you have a new book coming out and I want to get to this first before we start doing our red rubber ball all over the place in the nerdscape. Like John and I started a a WandaVision conversation two minutes before you uh, signed on. And so before we get there, I do want to talk about your latest volume of uh, Destiny and why coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you give us the the pitch on that for people that don't know? All right. So the pitch on Destiny New York is um, it's the story of a, uh, a girl named Logan McBride. She had a, a, a prophecy made about her when she's young, just a kid. And uh, she completes her destiny when she's about 13. So now the comic picks up with her when she's in her 30s, trying to figure out how to live a life with meaning, but when pretty much everyone thinks that she's already done the greatest thing that she'll ever do. Oh, that's interesting. Hey, thanks. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, like, think about it. That's the, I mean, I'm saying, well, I, I didn't mean to say think about it. I mean, I'm thinking about it. And yeah. Like that's uh look uh, forgive my ignorance right off the bat I'm more of the um Jen's our sports guy. comic guy and I'm more <laughs> of a sports guy you know so I love having guys on like you because I don't know what to talk about with you but I enjoy really listening and really trying to figure out what I really ad- admire about writers is their creative process and we'll get in farther into that but it you've already hit a nerve with me in terms of like I wonder if that's what like professional athletes go through, you know, once they win the Super Bowl and they have to mostly most retire around 30. Now what? That's right. Yeah. Was yeah. that kind of your inspiration right there with that or, you know, we, um, there are a few different tracks of careers of lifestyles that can lend itself to this. And, um, what we were talking about early on, what was the idea of the child star, you know, that you, oh, yeah. 
you know, you're a, a movie star, a celebrity in any way, you know, sports in, in actual movies, um, as a kid. Right. And then what do you do as an adult? These people have these downward spirals. Now, um, we, we, we have all, all these fantasy worlds. Like, I mean, I actually even just said X-Men, you have the Harry Potter universe where, where you have these kids mm-hmm. who are doing incredible things as a kid. And just for example, Harry Potter, right? We're supposed to think that he just becomes like a wizard cop yeah. as, as an adult when he was, I mean, he, he, he was the shit as a kid, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like what he did as a kid would have ramifications on the entire world. Even people literally, who literally, literally peaked in high school. Yeah. I mean, that's what you talk about. And then you're like, because my kids are discovering Harry Potter. So we talk about this quite a bit as like, what did they do afterward? Yeah. And, and it's like, well, yeah, Harry becomes a cop. Now, I come from a family of cops. Wait, is that official? Real... Is that official? Oh, that's totally official. Yeah. yeah so he there becomes are there any a... books on that now? No, they're not books. They're more, well, there was a play, The Cursed Child, when that came out. Uh, that was a, a play that's now been turned into a book, and you read it like a script. Um, oh, okay. But I J.K. Rowling I don't mean has... that to be the part of this podcast. I, I just didn't know that he turned into a cop. Yeah, he he turns into a magic cop, an aura is what, oh, okay. is what they call okay. it. Okay, um, cool. And yeah, but for the most part, like Ron, I mean, he he becomes like his dad, more or less, yeah. uh, being like the muggle studies guy and his dad, not a glorious job. I mean, these kids literally saved the universe yeah. in, in that book um, and, and they're just humdrum lives. So, yeah. so, so we're dealing with Logan, who's already, who's already now, what was her prophecy again? I guess I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, it's, um. It's kind of vague. Her prophecy was right. to um, uh, to essentially go to a place and um, remove untouched death from a place where um, where uh, thought and feeling is physical. You know, so right. Okay. The, the basic yeah. idea was for her to do this incredibly mystical thing that has no. She has no emotional tie to it. She has no personal connection to what she did. So when she's told that this thing defines her, she's like, I, I don't. I don't feel that way, you know. Mm-hmm. That's and every, like in this universe, like it's kind of it's kind of out there. It's not like a hidden magic world or anything like that. I mean, that's I mean, when you sent uh, the volumes and stuff. And I've always seen, and I feel bad now that we got you on a little bit because I'd always seen it on the comic shelf and kind of flipped through it, thought the art was cool, but I never really read through it. And then I'm trying to like digest, you know, three volumes uh, that you sent us, and I'm like, I'm like, that's a lot to take in. But yeah. I, I thought it was great, just kind of the idea of the, uh, and I'm gonna mess it up. The, 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 the people with the blacked, blackened out eyes. That, oh, uh, Sears, yes, yeah, the Sears, yes. Yeah, yeah. So the, I mean, they're not hiding. They're not. They're not in hiding in society. Yeah. Everybody's just kind of out there. Um, so then everybody knows, like the prophecies and stuff like that. So everybody knows she kind of peaked. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the, the idea is that. Um, uh, Magic is a real part of everyday life, but it's, you know, it's somewhat mundane in how it's accepted. Um, my thought was that, you know, y- you see all these um, uh, versions of fantasy worlds where, you know, life is totally changed. Like, for example, in The Hobbit, you know, they can do these, there are wizards who do this immense magic and then people live in holes, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, my, my thought was, what if, um, you know, we had a, a couple of centuries ago, um discovered some kind of rudimentary magic and it's just regular life like 
And the way that I addressed it was that we would see it in small ways, you know, like in mm-hmm. volume one, um, there are feats of magic. Like you, you have um, in volume one, you have the uh, staffs that can be used to kill someone. Um, but so some of the early magic that, that we see is we see Logan rubbing on this stone that's set to reduce her anxiety. And my thought was like that, that, that could be this world's answer to like, to some kind of anxiety pills, you know, mm-hmm. um, where, where the magic doesn't have to be um, like, there is a version in my head. Um, like say, um, say if destiny New York were, were to be pitched as a cartoon, I would have like buildings floating in the sky. Like mm-hmm. um, I, I even had a pitch to do it as an anime to a company where um, there was um, uh, buses were made out of the skeletons of dragons and stuff. But that, 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 that isn't what the book is. You know, the book mm-hmm. is, you know, just magic is incorporated into real life in a way that, you know, it just speaks to how our lives are always going to be the same kind of no matter what. You know, technology develops in this world. Mm-hmm. Magic does too, you know. Have you read uh, Patrick Rothfuss' Kingkiller Chronicles, the, In the Name of the Wind? and Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I get kind of that feeling with, with the way magic works and that it's called sigildry in there for people that don't know, but it can do like these grand powerful things or in this kind of fantasy setting, it can make a refrigerator. I mean, just kind of like very simplistic everyday things, which when you think about it is amazing. Um, But people are just kind of taking it for granted um, as is just the everyday piece. So, so what happens in, I mean, can you preview volume four for us for the, the yeah. fans that might tune in and see what's going on? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> uh, volume four, it picks up, um, ha, huh, where, where should I even start? There's so many character threads. Um, it starts with the two lead characters, Logan and Lilith. They're on separate coasts and, um, mm-hmm. Lo- Logan, uh, takes a trip back to New York and uh, when she returns to this place that you know she left, um, uh, she's she becomes embroiled in um, in a sort of um, uh, conflict that Lilith has stirred up with this senator. Because uh, Lilith, um, I have to t- touch on her for this to make sense. Uh, she is the last surviving daughter of a mystical crime family. So her family was essentially like. Um, uh, the Demio crime family of magic, you know, like she, like her dad was the Tony Soprano of, of magical arcane mm. illegal tools, you know? Um, and her parents are dead. Her, her, her sister ran the show and her sister's in this coma now. And she's left to take care of her sister and sort of, um, take over this business that she has herself run from and rejected her whole life. So the same way that Logan has ran from the idea that she is her prophecy, Lilith has escaped from the idea that she is supposed to be this person. But now with Logan, who was her girlfriend, Logan's gone in California and Lilith is left to protect her sister and has inherited her family's problems, which are they take the shape of the senator who was also secretly running a, a magical crime empire. And, and these two empires sort of like butt heads. And um, Lilith begins to find um, and to work on uh, kind of like using this child, mm-hmm. this uh, teenager named Joe Rollins. And Joe is a guy, um, you know, we, we see him as a kid in volume one. He grows up through the series and his prophecy kind of like puts him at odds with the senator. And Joe actually started as a, a Harry Potter joke. 
You know, he was like um, a bit of satire in showing what the book is not going to be. Mm, but, mm-hmm. but my philosophy with, with this book is that every character um, who you would assume is going to be a bit part, when they're introduced, they'll eventually become a main character. Every character we introduce will have a main part. Um, so yeah, Logan re-enters New York and sees the person that she was with um, essentially using a classmate of hers as a weapon against this um, senator who has kind of like been the creeping villain in the background of the whole series. Wow, okay. This sounds like a very complex... Um, like you said, there's a lot of character threads. It already sounds yeah. like there's a ton. So my question to you, and again, this is the dummy on this podcast... When you're doing this creative process, when you're creating all these characters, do you have some sort of like FBI wall where you have all these little like strings attached to pictures or or character? Like how how do you keep all this in your head and bring it out to like the end of the arc? How do you do that? You know, there there are um, I did in the past have a big um, not for this story but previous stories. I right. have had a. Uh, uh, a, a corkboard wall, you know, I, I, I would put things on, but now, no, no, now I'll, um, I have a document where I plan certain things, but it's one of those things where, um, this has been such a long running series for me. Um, mm-hmm. we're on, you know, uh, volume four is done. It's, it's in digital form. It's released that way. And it's, um, it actually, it, it exists in print, but everyone at the shipping port has COVID, you know? So, so, sure, so right. locked at the shipping port for about two months now. Um, uh, so I'm working on volume five and it's been in my head for so long. And I know the characters so well mm-hmm. that a lot of it really is second nature to me in that um, in some way or another, I'm always thinking about them. Whereas um, with other stories, because I do other stories as well, you know, Um with non-Destiny New York stories, I do have to, you know, keep a bit, like, tighter tabs. Like, every issue I, I write, I'll reread everything that came before it. With Destiny, I, I don't have to. You know, it's... I, I work on it for so long, and I'm so attentive to the art as it comes in and, and to every... To make sure every panel fits. I always... I'll see the art. I'll tweet the dialogue as it comes in. I'm just so... I'm so in it that it really does exist in my head to, to where there are things that I know will happen that I won't even write down. Uh, just, it, I want it to develop naturally in my thoughts. Mm-hmm. For, very for cool. That's very and cool. So the two things you mentioned there that I want to hit on. One, I want to commend you on making a comic that's so accessible. Um, it, it really is, in my getting through uh, Volume 1 and 2, one of the things that I thought of was this is – Definitely a comic that you can go to somebody who either has some kind of stigma against comics, like they're yeah. they're still stuck in that, you know, 1980s, 1990s America where comics are for kids and nobody, um, you know, I'm an adult, I don't read those. And you can hand them this and say, this is a story that you're going to get into. It's about real people, real problems. Yes, there's this magic element, but like you said, it's just a part of everyday life and then it's just solid, good storytelling and you can get into that. Um, so congratulations on that. I think you did a great job awesome. accomplishing that. Um, but the art, the art was, I think it's great. It's It's got that, um, I mean, it's black and white, but it's a different kind of black and white than I think I've seen a lot of lately. Um, I just thought, I mean, the use of the use of grace really is really what kind of brought me in. Um, just seeing that whole process and 
it's just it's great to look at. I mean, you've had a couple different artists on the on the series, but every one of them I think has just nailed the the visual aspect of it. Um, so I just want to say good job on that too. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's been um um you know in the ideal world you have an artist and they stick with you the whole time. But what I will say though, God, as, as a writer, um, it's easy for me to say, it's easier for me to say, I'll stick with this series for, for 10 years than mm-hmm. it is for an artist. Because the truth is, um, I started the series with an artist named Manuel Pertano and Manuel since, um, since doing destiny, he, he he's done covers of issues of, of different things here and there. He had this, uh, uh, DC graphic novel and that's, you know, that's, the most that a, a hand can physically draw in that time. Mm-hmm. Me, you know, I, I've written as many gigs as I've gotten. I, I write articles every day. I, you know, it's easier for a writer to, writer to take on more. So mm-hmm. it's, I, I do go into all these books knowing, you know, we have this specific artist for a time and they're going to have their run. And then when they move on, you know, it is what it is, you know? Uh, but thankfully, We've been very, um, we being myself and our editor, Shannon, uh, Shannon Lee, we've been very, um, uh, discerning in, in which direction we pick, you know, we, um, we, we find artists who we like, we do test pages and, and we make sure that they can fit what you're talking about. Cause, um, mm-hmm. that style where, where you open it and it doesn't feel like it should have color. That's not that easy to create, you know, that's not. Right. Um, there are a lot of test pages where I'm like, man, this artist is good, but they, it's it, it's just a tick off from the complete look that we need. And sometimes we'll give notes, and sometimes we'll be like, all right, this artist is good for this short story, and then mm-hmm. we gotta move on because we need someone who can really capture how this book has looked for five years now. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Thank you for being so concerned. Um, so. You brought up something that I'm going to shift into. John, do you have any more Destiny questions before I ask him about another project? I I, I do have one that's tinkering in my head, and, it, and it's kind of, and I don't know if I should ask it because it might throw us off on a completely different tangent, but I guess I'm just going to throw it out there and we'll, yeah. we'll roll with it as it goes. Where are you getting, I think it's such, such a fantastic idea you have of what happens after I've saved the day? Yeah. Right. So where, where where are you pulling that from? Are you pulling that from? Is is that just someday you were sitting there watching Harry Potter, for example, and you just said, well, I wonder what happens to Harry now? Or like, huh. where did you get that? Where did where did you all of a sudden sit there and come up with the whole idea of because it sounds to me like this entire thing is based off of the idea of. All right. You peaked. Now what? You know, um, it came to me. um it was just a mixture of things. It's very hard to trace the exact origin, but I do know um, a product of pitching comic book stories is that the industry, you know, you were talking about how it's accessible because it's about people. The industry in some ways, they don't really take to those kind of stories. They, they want the high concept pitch. It's this meets that. So a lot of what I was doing was figuring out how to tell a human story but add a genre element that could be sold as, you know, it's this meets that, but really just make it into a way that sounds like a big pitch, but really is a, is a key into telling a, a very human story. And I felt, um, you know, I, when I created it, I was in my late 20s. 
right? And, and I was sort of, um, I, I was feeling that a lot of the stories that I was telling, um, like for example, I was writing a, a mag magical school story at Xenoscope. Grim Fairy Tales had become this um, sort of like X-Men in a school type setting. Mm -hmm. And my thought was, you know, these are, these are all teen characters. I, I've been tasked with writing stories that, you know, feature teen characters. And, and I've loved stories like this. But how could I bring a fantasy element into a story that is for 30-somethings, that's about 30-somethings, mm -hmm. and, and, and it feels relevant? So I began to think of, um, you know, there's uh, Lord of the Rings just takes adult characters and puts them on a journey how could i find the balance between a harry potter type situation where ha harry potter has many slice of life elements even though they're going through this big journey i was like that kind of story that's slice of life buffy teen characters slice mm -hmm, yeah. of life, magic and action how can i come up with a story that has the element that i could pitch that way but also is about Someone like me now, and then I I just thought on it, and and that came to me. You know, it it was um, at first we, we were much more heavy on the uh, child star comparison, mm -hmm. but um, but that was just the way in. You know, like as right. we as we developed it and as I wrote it, it began to take different shapes. You know, and, and even the volumes take different shapes. Like volume one is um, the story of a budding romance. Volume two mm. is a lived-in romance. And then volume three is, in one corner, it is a heartbroken person who is inheriting this family trouble and deciding whether or not she's essentially going to become a crime lord to part two of volume three is a woman dealing with the fact that her dad is dying. And then vo volume four is pretty much... Uh, breaking bad with magic, you know, so it's um it's it changes every time that I go back to it. And I think that's what makes it kind of hard to trace is that it's destiny in New York that I'm writing now, you know, it's it it progressed naturally, but it it's very different from when I started, you know, um like for example, um uh, vo volume one has. Uh, what's worthy of about five issues in there of content. And we're going to be putting out the series as single issue comics in comic book stores. Now um, it's coming out through black mask next month in, in comic oh, shop cool. as a single issue. Series. Love that company. Yeah. Love that company. Too, they you know, put out they, great stuff. Yeah. They, 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 they've treated me very well. You know, I did a uh, snuffleish hustle and breathless there. Great, great company. Um, and the, but thinking back though, it's like it's so crazy to have, uh, to 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 be writing volume five and and knowing what that is as people are going to be experiencing volume one issue one for the first time. It, it it's just so different, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's definitely hard to to, to look back and see the exact inspiration because it, it feels like I've been um really investing in in a world and in these characters for the past five years. So it, it's almost become less of, um, it, it feels less like I created it and more as if I woke up and I knew these people, you know, like I, yeah. I really try to think about them all the time. So am I guessing this right then that each volume takes at least a year to create? Yeah. You know, um, in the past, I think volume one, um, if you put all the time together, um, 
it t- volume one took more than a year, but was less than a year of work because, um, you know, Manuel is fast and I wrote, uh, I wrote it all in advance and, um, we wrote issue one. Well, I, I wrote issue one and he drew it as a pitch. We were pitching it around. I see. And then when we took it to Kickstarter, I was like, all right, well just do, do, do the rest now. And then the rest was done in like three months. So that, that was quick. But ever since then, um, because it's not, it's not new anymore, you know? So there's a lot more that we have to get right because th- th- things that happen in volume five now have to connect in many ways to what happened in previous, like four previous volumes, uh, two spinoffs and a short story collection, you know? So it's, it, it's a lot more intensive now. Yeah. And, um, now when I sit down to write a chapter, it's, it's like ritualistic. I have to really prepare for it because I'm going to be going into something that is a lot more uh, reference intensive for the artist. That's work intensive for me. Cause sometimes I'll in this space that I could write the whole script dialogue and everything for in like five, six hours for a freelance thing. Destiny New York. So sometimes it's a breeze. Other times that five, six hours is like five pages. Cause it's mm-hmm. just, it's a lot slower when I have to be like, all right, this character is going to talk about this, which you had to read and I'll put screenshots in and I'll just give this whole weighty document to the artist. And, um, ho- hopefully it's helpful. It's probably a bit, um, intensive for the artist, but you know, it is what so, it is. So it's like volume one was laying down the foundation and now you have to constantly keep connecting it to the foundation as you build right. it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. You're go ahead, Greg. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I wanted to move on because in in researching uh, you as much as I could, uh, I did find that you just uh, had a Kickstarter that ended in December for Thirsty. Yeah. Yeah. So, a um, couple different things on here. Uh, it, it says four comics drawn by some of the comics' uh, top talent. Uh, make for the spiciest graphic novel you read this year. If you're a fan of comics of like Sunstone, Smut Peddler, you'll love Thirsty's hilarious, emotional, exciting, and character-driven erotica. And you're writing this with your with your wife, and yeah. I think that is so cool. And I just, uh, it looks like a cool book. What is that about, and when can we see it? All right, so Thirsty, um, uh, I believe it comes out, and I'm not 100 percent sure because I have to, um look at my schedule and and see when things are going um i believe thirsty is going to be out by october if not before okay digitally before um but yeah it's um it is kind of like a you know that, that movie crash how it is different stories but they sure. connect. absolutely yes yeah it's like that kind of a format in that um there are four individual stories that are brought together by one overlapping story and um yeah it's stories about the way that um sex takes shape in different people's lives like um there are humorous stories there are emotional stories um and there are just like horny stories you know like there's this one story um uh it's like half written mostly by amy and half written mostly by me and we each um contribute to one another's stories like um one of Amy's stories, for for example, is um, about a girl who goes to essentially um, 
a futuristic doll store for sex dolls. Like she goes to the mm. store and she programs different items that she likes um, onto this doll, you know. And I'm she... sorry, Pat. I didn't mean to laugh. I just oh, no, I laugh, pulled up, I, I, no, <laughs> I pulled up your I pulled up your Kickstarter and I see this I see your picture and you're I don't know what you're doing here, but you have a Pokemon ball and you're yeah. in a unique position. Yeah, my um <laughs> I've turned my shorts into poom poom shorts, you know? Yes. And, and I've uh cocked one of my legs up. Not not to use yeah. the word cock, you know, but yeah, I've, exactly. I've uh, placed one one of my legs up. Yeah. And I will say I will say I uh I appreciate your wife's picture way more than yours. <laughs> yeah, I mean I do too. You, you know it's funny, and actually I, I have a little Pokeball right here too. Um, oh, cool. so I'll just strike a post for you, you know. Um <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to throw you off topic. No, no, no. Uh, with Amy's picture, though, uh, real quick, um, it was just so funny that she was wearing these glasses, and I was like, "You look like Jeffrey Dahmer," you know. <laughs> and she, and she did, you know. She does. Yeah. So what I did was, I forget how much the picture shows, but if you look on her chest, her her nipples are covered with pictures of Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey face. Dahmer. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know okay. I'm I, not gonna I, lie, I had to zoom in to be like, what? What yeah. is that? Who is it? Oh it's okay. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. What's the tattoo? What's the tattoo on her torso? That is a um an anatomical heart with, yeah. with okay. an eye in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. I think anytime comics um in like serious comic writers, I mean there there are there are sex comics out there that are just meant for for fun. They're cartoons. They're you know whatever. Um, like Tim Seeley's got a book out. Uh, oh jeez, and the name Money is Shot. Called. Money Shot. Thank you. Um, when Money Shot hit the hit the the racks a couple of years ago, it was I think right before C two E two last year. It came out, and it was. The concept, yes, it's it's a sex comic, but it's not about sex. I mean, it, it just had this great social commentary to it, and I think that if you can take a a sexual topic with a great writer like yourself and turn that into a book, I just get excited to read that because it's a topic that will certainly draw people in, but then you can say so much with it. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, people are scared about that kind of stuff, you know. Like, mm -hmm. uh, Americans are. I mean, it, it's very much an American phobia. I think. That's true. I mean, like, it does. Um, I think I have an axe to grind because it comes back to when I was working at Zenoscope. Um, you know, I was exclusive there for for for, for years. You know, mm -hmm. I was a staff writer, but at the same time, the truth is that you know they knew, I knew that, you know, I, that my contract would be up, and I had aspirations to to write everywhere, and um, I I had meetings with multiple companies, um. And it often got brought up that the fact that I worked on books that had these quote unquote sexualized covers, you know, um, that that was going to be a, a hindrance in hiring me and that there was a, a perception to that kind of stuff. Um, Do they know who buys comics? <laughs> well, that's the answer. The, the answer is no, you know, um, and uh, it's funny, like what websites will do, um, uh, just like little jokey bits, like they've done articles about like who reads Zenoscope, and I'll tell you who reads Zenoscope. Mostly women, you know. Like it's yeah. that's th these these sites, these people don't know who 
who wants that kind of content? Sunstone from from uh, Sejic sells so well yes. because women like it, women mm-hmm. and men, you know, um, and that kind of thing. That the fact that um, books with elements of sexuality, sometimes exaggerated or sometimes just elements in general, are often looked down upon and looked at as um, the creators are less publishable. When really that creator um, is getting read more and read mm-hmm. wider than than anyone that they could realize, you know, mm-hmm. um, in any way that they could realize that is, and um, it made me like in the past I, I used to try to distance myself. I was like, you know, I would always say to people like, um, the books are more than the covers, and while mm-hmm. while that's true. I no longer feel that way when looking back at my work there. I, I more feel if you don't want to read it, fuck you then. You know, I I I, I couldn't care less now. Mm-hmm. Now now I'm like, oh, so you think that that I can't get a job at so and so company because of my sex story? Instead of being sad, I'm gonna write a sex story that I create then. Mm-hmm. So because I was so like, oh man, I've been hired to do this and could it have hurt my career? That that's what I thought, you know. Um, but now I'm like, fuck it. Like n- n- now I'm going to do it. Yeah. And if you yeah. don't want to hire me, cool. Th- that's all right then. I, I think, yeah, I think, uh, people in comic book boardrooms need to get to know their audiences a oh, lot yeah. better. They need to walk. They need to walk the, I mean, back when we could have conventions and whatnot, they need to walk the floors and not just stick around their little booth panels and not just talk to the, the other high powered people that are there but start to start to go through some long boxes and listen to the conversations that the people that are actually actually buying comics are having and walk up and down artist alley and see what's drawing people in um because even like the last uh last convention i went to which was c2e2 uh gosh last year it was about a year ago i think it was in march um Oh, see, and again, I get going and I forget people's names. Uh, Nora, um, Carnal Confessions. She's got a book. Uh, yeah. And again, was one of those huge things that premiered at that con. John, do you remember you were there with me? Um, it was it, this book. It's called Carnal, Carnal Confessions. It, it does have a very overt sexuality to it, but it's a great story. I mean, and that's that's what people are missing. Or if they're going to point out kind of that that sexualized cover and say, well, I don't want to do that because they can't be a good story. They're wrong. There's there's plenty of good stuff. That's Meanwhile, true. one of the best-selling series of novels in the past 20 years has been Fifty Shades of Grey. And you go, that's that's Housewives looking for the exact kind of content that these comics are producing. Sorry, um, so hang on a second. So do you guys believe that when you're ta- <laughs> when you guys are talking about the board guys that are making all the decisions of the, the hiring or not hiring or mm-hmm. do you think that has a lot to do with how like Disney took Marvel and made it so mainstream and so cool and so like now 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 it's you're not a nerd anymore in high school if you read a comic book now you're one of the cool kids if you read a comic book do you think that hurt you think that added to this whole like what I'm saying is if I'm looking at this through an exec they're thinking about what sells and yeah. they think what sells is Captain America. It's a widget. It's a widget to them. It's it's not a comic book. It's not a character. It's it's not even an industry. I mean, those guys are are making decisions based on 
whatever product it is. They're, they're saying this is a widget. We need it to be able to be family friendly to have broad sales. And, and I don't think that's true. At least that's my take on it. Or what I can observe. Pat, you probably have a better introspective look at that. I mean, I think what it is, is um, it comes down a lot to the idea that, um, you know, publishers chase what's quote unquote cool. You know, like it's right now, it's cool to be an asshole on Twitter. Right, you know, mm-hmm. right, right now it's cool to like share a hot take about everything. You see the publishers doing it. You see publishers, editors going on Twitter and just airing out these really aggressive opinions about everything, you know? And it, it comes down to wanting to be, you know, just the person to have the craziest take first, the hottest take first, to look the coolest, to look the most disaffected, right? And yeah. I think that um, there's a certain there's a certain vulnerability and there's a, there's a certain um, earnestness to stories about sex that scares people off and that scares that kind of person off, the person who's so concerned about appearances. If I publish this book, what will people think of my company? That kind of thing. Now, mm-hmm. I think that people are so concerned about appearing to be the cool on the edge of what's hip publisher, right, that they're that they're missing what the audience actually wants, which is point blank period story you know mm-hmm. so pat do you feel and this is something that if anybody's listening to this that is a fan of yours and wants to get into this industry yeah do you find yourself constantly reminding yourself about like what i'm saying is how do you how do you stay with your vision and not alter your vision so that it sells because i'm sure when you're yeah. breaking into it Right. And the guy's like, this is great, but can you not make this sexy? Can you just make this like John Wick? And you're like, oh, man, that's not the story I job. wanted to tell. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, what I do that I've noticed is I will, you know, like, like you said, the like John Wick type thing, you know? Um, yeah. I'll look at that after. Like, um, uh, I pitched Breathless to Black Mask, right? And um, I pitched Breathless as as this story that essentially turns what these um what big pharma does with medicine with uh, prices for, for 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 medicine, turn that into a horror story. You know, uh, take that as the um metaphor, and then add actual monsters. And um, the the pitch that was come up with later was that. It's like Buffy versus Big Pharma. That wasn't what it was conceived as, but that's what um, was the equation that would get people to be like, oh, what's this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think of that in, in the process of the story, you know? Um, I think of that more down the line, or that might have even been Black Mask. I, I don't even remember, you know? Um, but, you know, there does, ha- I mean, I hate it, but th- there has to be that it's blank meets blank, or it's blank with this mm-hmm. twist, you know? That that is um, how how people sell things these days. Um, but no, I I don't think of it in the process. It's just um, I always try to think at least of what's the most natural story for me to tell. But at the same time, though, um, I do stay savvy in that. Like, for example, uh, with thirsty, um, and this just goes to show how much people want this kind of story. Mm-hmm. Thirsty was far and away my my, my biggest Kickstarter. Like. D- double almost nice. you know it was 
by far the biggest. So I was talking to Shannon Lee and we're like, all right, so that's our December now forever, you know, until, uh, until the interest dies, our December is going to be a Kickstarter like this, a, a, a graphic novel like this, you know? So just the thought is every year come up with stories that are, that, that, that fit this mode in some way. So that's more of what I do sales wise is I look at, uh, what works for me and for us and, and I kind of lean into that in a way, you know, and some people yeah. like, some people call that brand, but I, I don't want to do that because I'm not going to be always doing that kind of story. I'm, I'm just doing it as a part of my career now. Mm-hmm. This, this was, um, you know, um, previous books like, uh, destiny New York, of course we do one volume per year at least. Uh, and also Amy and I write, Amy and I write a book called Prison Witch and Prison Witch has two volumes now. And the truth is that, you know, I love Prison Witch and so does Amy. Um, but the person who buys Destiny is the same person who buys Prison Witch. Mm-hmm. That's a very similar audience, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, then I did this book Afterglow and a book Spooky Girls. Also, very similar audiences, you know. So um, Thirsty is the first time that we've experimented with this audience. And now... Um, uh, during Thirsty, I, I was brainstorming ways to um, to pull this audience toward my other stuff. Like, for example, um, Destiny New York. You know, it has uh, romance elements, sexual elements. Mm-hmm. So we decided to do a one-off digital story that Thirsty backers would get that introduces them to this world, you know? Nice. Um, and yeah, so that's more of how I, I think about it, ways to market it after the actual creative part is done. Well, you've brought it, and it sparked in my mind just working for working for companies like Black Mask and, and companies, even Zenoscope at the beginning, where they were pushing boundaries of okay. uh, of the comics industry. And um, you know, hey, Grant, after- how so? How so? For for those of you that 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 don't know, what is what is Zenoscope? You guys have mentioned it a couple of times. What it's well, it, it's it's a company. I I think they've been around, gosh, maybe twenty years. How they push boundaries? Well, it started off like they had these very um, almost think of think of like the Halloween costumes of like a sexy Snow White, yeah, and a sexy. <laughs> okay, okay, and, all right, all and right, that's what they were putting on their covers, and it oh, was, okay. and for sure, it was eye catching. I mean, they were doing like swimsuit issues and stuff. I mean, it, yep. it was something that you walked by that uh, their booth, and you went, oh, what's that? Okay, so um, they, they were very sexualized. Well, the covers looked good, and, and it was it was cheesecake for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there was no um, gratuitous sexual things in there. Okay. But then you started reading the stories, and you went, "Damn, this is a good story." I mean, that for me, that's what that was my experience um, reading like grim fairy tales, and then I actually read Robin Hood for a while. Um, you know, just great great stories that okay. they would have sexy covers. And then as they, I think they built in as their audience built, they kind of almost got away from the sexy covers a little bit. And then it was just, you know, less skin on the cover, I guess I would say less of that cheesecake and more like a pose of the, of the, the hero of the comic. Yes. Yeah, okay. um, I mean, the, uh, the costumes in general, definitely. Um, I mean, the way that you said it was perfect. It, it did in, in the past, you know, the, um, Red Riding Hood costume, the Snow White costumes were 
were a very party city, you know. But yeah. then they had um this great guy, Anthony Spey. He's an artist and designer. He came on. He re- he did the costumes anew and and made them sort of like um you know st- st- still sexy, you know, but still. Mm-hmm. But superhero, you know, like yeah. Now uh, the Snow White character Sila looked um, more like she was wearing a superhero costume rather than a skirt and and all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, like some armor elements and stuff. If I yeah. remember right, still yeah. very cool. And, um, and, and now, um, I mean, they still do covers that are, and they would even say cheesecake. You know, actually, yeah. Ra- Ralph Tedesco, who is, oh, um, yeah, one of the founders. You know, he um, mm-hmm. he just did this great Twitter thread asking. What it is that that people who don't read Xenoscope but criticize them online, what is it about the covers that puts them off? And he engaged with the audience and, and answered questions, and he pointed out that people have a perception, but the amount of cheesecake covers they do, it's it, it's minimal. You know, like they'll mm-hmm. do like three or four covers per issue, and cover C is what you think, and then covers A and B and maybe even D. Are are either hero poses or narrative covers, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I think that goes back into what I was saying before is that people um, people feel a stigma and then they lean into it and don't want to hear anymore, you know, and they mm-hmm. they don't want that nuance because the nuance complicates things for them, you know. Well, I do want to bring up you worked on a book that for me was the most batshit crazy book I've <laughs> <What ever> book? <laughs> read. Crossed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Cross is a book by uh, Avatar, yes. right? That's the, Avatar is the name of the company. And, John, I know you've seen the book before. I don't know if you've ever read it, but there's a sickness going around where everybody gets, like, this giant burned cross on their face. And it is, by far, the most psychotic and gratuitous book yeah. I had ever... I think... I remember Anacon, and I'm just flipping through. And at one point, and these people are nuts. They are off their rocker, like any social norm is out the window. A guy ripped off a woman's arm and then had sex with it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And and that was one of those things where I'm like, what, what? Yeah, and I, I'm like, what is what is this? I don't I don't know if I'm gonna buy it, but yeah, I gotta know what it is. And the guy pitched it to me, and I was like, wow. Wow, it is. Yeah. So, what was it like working on that book? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, I I came into it from a very similar perspective in that, you know, I I knew what Cross was, and I, you know, I looked into it, and it it was um, it was kind of like, just in general, it's a harrowing experience. You know, it, it's a world with no joy you know it it's it it it's rough and i i was scared to really give it that much of a shot because of how dark it was um is that because you had to go to a dark place to write that way no 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 no. this was even before i, I was involved at all um okay. I, I had heard of it because i mean it, it was kind of infamous you know and um i remember two things though um i was with a writer who i know and love and um uh, he and I uh, walked to the Avatar booth, and this is actually when I first met William at Avatar. And uh, my friend uh, starts pitching William this cross story in front of me, and William goes, "You know, it's not just about the violence, right? Like, there's 
there's more to the story Mm -hmm. and that that intrigued me and then um maybe a year or so later i went to calgary comic-con and i met um uh cy spurrier uh he's a great great writer you know he he did uh cry havoc at images and a bunch of great Mm. stuff um and uh cy at the time was writing a book called uh crossed are you there yet i I think it was like a webcomic first that was then published as a trade and um uh he and i were in this car together um going to the show and he talked about it and i was like wow that the way that you put it it sounds great Mm -hmm. and um so that was my way in that that he he pitched that to me that way and that i had um i began to see writers that i loved you know for instance alan moore alan Mm -hmm. moore took over cross for um he did this uh cross uh plus 100 which is the world of cross plus 100 years so it's that world 100 years later so you so you see how in some ways um uh, society has changed he's developed this whole new language you know you use you, you see um new slang new words come up he he's really he developed a whole new world so that book um uh, was super intriguing to me and, and, and when i was invited to write it my uh invite was that uh christos gage was writing the main story mm-hmm. which which would continue alan moore's Cross plus one hundred, and my story was to look at Alan Moore's Bible for the world that he created and write short stories that lead up to his version of Cross, changing the world at the pace that he set. So, okay. so it was like I was given this roadmap by, I mean, the the, the legend of all comic book legends. Yeah, you know? sure, absolutely. Um, so. So that that was really intriguing to me, and it was just um, it felt less like writing from a dark place, and it felt a bit more. Um, I mean, there were certainly dark things. I mean, in the first the first chapter, because they were all standalone stories, mm-hmm. all take place at a certain point in time, with each one going a bit more toward the future that Alan Moore created, um, and it it. it it was more just the pressure to stay on, on his vision and mm-hmm. to make it all in line with what Alan Moore had written, you know? Um, and that, that was the hard part because it was just so in depth. I mean, um, I, I could probably read the entirety of cross comics in the time it would take me to read his full Bible. It's, it's very, very in depth. So uh-huh. it felt more as if I was, um, shaping what he had already done in, in, into narrative rather than, you know, going to a super dark place. Damn. Yeah. Some of this stuff is insane. Oh, I'm looking yeah, at good. some of yeah. these, just some of these covers and, uh, wow. The way you put it actually, I, is intriguing to me. It makes me maybe want to go check that out. I, I wasn't aware. Cause after my initial, uh, kind of pitch to that, I was like, yeah, that's, I guess that's really not for me or, or especially where I was at that point in time. I, I probably land a little lot better now, yeah. but I, I go back and I was just talking, I've got a high school age daughter and she, she wants to start wa- uh, watching walking dead. And I'm like, well, you know, any good post-apocalyptic story, be it zombies, be it Mad Max, be it whatever. It's not about the thing itself. It's about the survivors and the people. And in my first flipping through, I didn't quite get that from Cross. But if if you're saying that that's essentially what, with and I knew 
you know, Alan Moore, I'm like, wow, that's really out there. But if he's doing that year 100 and how society changes after something like that, that's intriguing. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, um, you know, Cross, um, Cross does have a lot in common with Walking Dead, but not always, though. You know, it, it right. is at different point, different things. When Cyspiria wrote it, for sure it was, you know. Um, when I wrote it, it wasn't. Um, what I wrote was, you know, it was vignettes that were, everyone had a different POV. Like, um, th- there was some comedy type, type things. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, my second one was, um, it was about how um, Alan wrote this stuff about how, uh, how long it takes nature to take back the world. So yeah. not only from the cross, but from humanity. Yeah. These um, uh, department stores have been, have been overturned and just looted and abandoned for decades. And now when I pick up with it, you've seen, uh, you know, now there's grass in there. Sure. Lions have migrated here, you know, and it's just Alan Moore wrote all this stuff about how that kind of thing could happen. Right. So then I had this chance to, all right, so, you know, tell a story about the cross, you know, they, they, they've been looking for just, humans to fuck around with for a long time but now they're fleeing from lions you know so the yeah. so issue two is the hunter has become the hunted as these two crossed are in a target store and, and they're trying to not get eaten by a lion you know and it's just like that's one story and then and then there's one um uh part of cross plus 100 is that there's this uh, school where um the crossed who i mean they're they're much more, um, they're more verbal than zombies. You know, they, they right. speak, they say horrible things. Um, but uh-huh. there's no, um, th- there's no logic, but there's, there's a school in cross plus 100 where this character is teaching the crossed to, to react, to think logically and, and oh. to actually write. Like so rehab almost. Yeah. So my story, um, was about this one crossed, uh, the, this young girl crossed named Cockrip and um, she, she is in this class and she's actually writing, you know, and there's this other crossed, this guy um, who is supposed to, his exercise is to not attack, you know? So he, he's being provoked and he is not to attack. If you attack, you're punished, you know? Um, So eventually Nature gives in and he attacks. So he's strapped down and then they're like, all right, Cockrip, c- c- come here. And then you already can figure out what, what she does, oh. you know? Um, and it's, it's just taught <laughs> that way, you know? So yeah. it was a moment in cross that, that, you know, we've seen the perspective of humans being brutalized by, by these, these creatures, people for, for all these issues. But avatar gave me the chance to tell a story that was from the perspective in a couple of different ways of actually the cross, you know? Well, I certainly appreciate companies like, uh, like avatar that can push that envelope that it will even allow other companies to maybe not push it as far, but be like, but we're not, you know, we're not avatar. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I, I really like when black or not, uh, black mask, um, aftershock when that, when that company hit, they had some books that pushed boundaries too, but they were all, great i mean just really good good stories so yeah i mean dude i um my thought was that no matter what i do right i um i want to tell a good story and that i i could turn any content 
into an engaging story that people care about. Like, it, it's crazy. But for example, as I was writing Cross, my other gigs were Disney Princess and Underdog. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to bring the same level of attention and story there and just like to make Underdog as funny and as fun as it could be and mm-hmm. to make Crossed. Um, I, I wanted it, it to live up what I heard William say years before that it isn't just what, what people think it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite um, story? Like your favorite creation, your favorite, like, did you really enjoy your chance at underdog? Did you like Disney princess? Like what's your baby? What's your, you sit there and you go, wow, I, I really. Um, destiny New York for me. Um, definitely. Yeah. Of, of my creations. Yes. Of, um, of my hired work, um, I'll, I'll give two answers. Um, my Robin Hood run at Xenoscope is, okay. is very close to me. Um, in fact, just, I mean, Xenoscope was very unique. And um, I actually reached out to Joe Brusher, who um, he, with Ralph, co-created Xenoscope. Uh, he, he, he runs the show. And um, Ralph and I are... are are very close but um joe i wanted to reach out to him and be like listen like um it's weird that you know you and i had a more business relationship so i i just want to tell you that you know looking back i think that it's amazing how much work you gave me and how much trust you put in me to be a shepherd of your creations because i mean i yeah it it, it it's hard to really put in put into words how how many books I, I have my hands in. Like I was mm-hmm. mul- mul- multiple events, three ongoings at once, just many mi- mini series. Just it it was it was constant constant work, and it was I felt I mean similar to how I, I told you guys that I always think about Destiny New York f- for a time, and this is real. I was always thinking about Xenoscope in certain ways. You know, like I, um, I say that Robin hood was my baby, but at the same time, Robin hood appeared in my Van Helsing series. Van mm-hmm. Helsing appeared in Robin things that were started in, in Robin were re- resolved in Van Helsing. You know, it was very, it, it, it was a once in a lifetime gig because I mean, one of my first miniseries w- was Godstorm, And, um, I remember being told I was I was like Godstorm it's fun but it isn't a staple series so whatever I write resolve because it's your last chance and then from that point on I was like all right so the characters in Godstorm are actually going to be in this book too you know and I just yeah. kept that kind mm-hmm. of thing I would you know I managed to get these long long runs where it doesn't really seem that way like Godstorm ran for five issues but really it kind of ran for thirty you know mm-hmm. yeah uh, so that. Itself, that experience in general is very close to me. Um, but outside of Xenoscope, my other baby is actually not comics at all. Um, for a company called Joe Books, uh, they licensed the Marvel titles, and I wrote um, in the fall of I think 20, maybe 15, I wrote an Iron Man novel. Yeah, and in over the course of the first half of that next year. In in about three months, I wrote a Guardians novel, a Thor novel, and a an Avengers novel. Four nice. novels came out in one summer, and um, it felt 
as if we were building our own Marvel universe. And um, the plan was to do just that. Yeah. To um, you know, I I pitched one Captain America book and a second Avengers book that would bridge them all together and have this big climax and essentially be a you know a novel phase one how the movies had their hmm. phases you know yeah. um and then joe books went under you know and um we didn't get to do those but we did get to do the, those four novels which was a great experience oh wow. hey hey i want to piggyback on that for a second and yeah. this is me going way off but you've you just piqued my interest or something i'm guessing you've thought of a way to do a MCU version for DC. Oh yeah, I mean I. <laughs> so how would it go? I mean, set up, set up phase one. Now you don't have to go in depth, but set up phase one. What do oh we got? boy, um, you know it's it's hard to say it now because um, I thought about this a lot when Man of Steel was first going to come out. You know, okay. um, my thoughts were that you know you do Superman. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. you do a non-A-list character, you know, like you do a booster gold. Oh, you you yes. do you you do something like that, you know? Okay, why? Explain to me why. Because Iron Man wasn't A-list, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So no. so he, but here's why Superman first though. Superman first because um if they started with a non-A-list at this point after Marvel has done what they've done, yeah. right? Yeah. Then then they're not going to be lo- looked at as building mm-hmm. a universe. You, you you have to start big, but then if you have a hit and you have a good st- solid first movie, that's when you kind of go off. You know, you okay. do that first hitter, right? That first icon. And then your next project is not to do Batman, but to turn a B-lister into that icon. Mm-hmm. Right? So I would do it kind of like on and off. I, I would do a Superman, and then I would do a booster gold. Then I would do Batman. Then Swamp Thing. You know, do different genres and, and bring mm-hmm. it together that way. And then, if I were DC, I would have waited a lot longer before doing Justice League. You know, like oh, me yeah. too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, if I was doing phases, I wouldn't have that in Phase One at all. I would yeah. have Phase One possibly end with a World's Finest, possibly. Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's a. That, I like that. Yeah. Possibly. I like that. But maybe even had that face too. Like it's. I feel like the 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 long game is kind of overlooked. You know. Um, but and Warner Brothers is totally missing the long game. And, and I think is. I can see why it happened. Did? Is that why? Totally. It yeah. Well, because it, it, Marvel was gambling in the beginning. I mean, they a lot of gambles. Yeah. They didn't know that. RDJ was going to be the icon that he is. They didn't know that Iron Man could resonate so well with characters or with people. Uh, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, and I'm I was much more of a DC guy than I was a Marvel guy. And now I honestly don't buy either one of them. Well, I, I, I lie about that. I still get Thor. Um, but, you know, when it comes to their movie universes, I... I like Man of Steel. I, I I see what they were trying to do. It's got some flaws. I don't care. I still like it. Yeah. Um, I and I I like Ben Affleck's Batman and in that Frank Miller ish kind of way that they're kind of trying to mix them together. I think that's fine. But yeah, the way they set up the films, and when you said Booster Gold, I got excited because he is my B 
sometimes C-list character that I would love for them to make yeah. a good movie on. In fact, I just it was uh, oh I can't remember who put it out there, but it was it may have been Valiant because their Twitter account is just fun to fun to follow. Uh, they said if you could if you could make any writer producer team do a superhero film, who do you have them do? And Shane Black, and I can't remember his producing partner, but but have them do the 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 team that made the Nice Guys. Yeah. Did you see that movie, The Nice Guys? With no. uh, um, it's a great film. Definitely go check it out. I think you can get it on uh, one of the streaming services right now. Um, but the dialogue's great. But I'm like, you get Ryan Gosling, Shane Black, and that same team together, and you make a booster gold film, and I guarantee you'd have a hit. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would happen, John. It would happen. No, it, it's funny, too, because when you said Booster Gold, Pat, um, I asked Greg this because he's more of a DC guy than I am. I'm just a Batman guy. That's, you know, that's who I am. But um, when I was asking him, he said, you got, you got to do like Shazam or Booster Gold first. Shazam, yeah, yeah. And I was like, why would you do them first? And he explained to me, like how you just explained to me, because Iron Man wasn't a B-list. I mean, he wasn't an A-list guy. Wasn't uh, the only two A list was really Spider Man and somebody else, right? That was it. Spider Man and Wolverine. Those are your only A listers, right? At that time. Oh, see, that's what Marvel. That was twenty years ago, Marvel. Yeah. Um, you you still had the Ultimate Universe just kind of roaring big. I think yeah. at that point, so Spider Man was big. X Men. Hey Pat, anybody that you'd like to write that you haven't that's mainstream? Like did you have you always wanted to tinker with Green Lantern or Batman or Spider Man or um, Moon Knight or something like that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, um uh of superhero things, I would certainly love to write Thor. Um Oh yeah, uh, I love Thor. Yeah, my Marvel choice would be Thor, my DC choice is Swamp Thing. Um and my uh my non Marvel or, or DC choice is Bobby the Vampire Slayer. You know, I um, yeah. my first ever gig was Angel, and I wrote Angel for two pages, and um, it was a short story in the last ever Angel comic from IDW, and um, and yeah, I I love that series. Uh, it it's in many ways uh, formative for me, and the fact that it got to be my first gig has felt like something that. I would want to return to. And I will say I, I wouldn't want to write um uh Buffy in the way that it's being done at Boom as far as the um reboot. My mm-hmm. uh, my thought would be to write I would love to write in any form a uh Buffy that's in line with, with the original vision, you know, because I um I like the boom comic, but that doesn't feel like what 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 I'm talking about here, you know? Yeah. Have you ever thought about uh doing any of that uh afterlife? Uh, Archie Afterlife for the um, Vampironica or anything like that. Some of the stuff they're doing with those Archie type books. Yeah, you know, I will say um, the uh, uh, the Betty and Veronica books look mm-hmm. interesting to me artistically, but I've actually, you know, I I've never read one, you know, so I can't really say. It's I took a chance on it at a at a con, and I I had seen a little bit of it. Like they used to send us. Uh, PDFs over at the pull box to review and things like that. And um, the, the Jughead werewolf story was good. Yeah. Um, and they did some crossover stuff with like predator and stuff like that. That was 
a little bit more cartoony. Yeah. But that afterlife kind of genre that started with a, the very dark version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and then Vampironica, um, or no, then the Jughead Werewolf story, and then Vampirana. They're actually really good, you know, just using that cast of characters in in that very dark Buffy-ish kind of way. Um, yeah. Very, and it's quality stuff. The art is fantastic. The writing is good. So yeah, I'd say give those a peek. Yeah, I'll be intrigued to read it. I mean, like, the truth is, though, I mean, for for the better part of like four four decades, Archie as a company has been selling lies. Like, they're trying to tell us that two high school girls, right, are into a redhead with freckles. I mean, dude, <laughs> I grew up as a redhead. You know, that's, I mean, <laughs> it looks like you're still living the life too, man. Yeah. They've yeah. got some balls. I'll say, you know, <laughs> well, isn't Archie based off of Richie Cunningham? Oh, you know, uh, I mean, he, he, he looks kind of like the same way that Richie's like a, kind of like a herb, you know, he, he does yeah. look that way. Um, but I mean, when, when it comes down to it, if I were to, um, you know, if I were to envision a battle, you know, of either wits or fists between Richie and Archie. To me, it's Richie all day, son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always thought Happy Days was that's it was the comic book version of Happy Days before I knew any. Like I always thought that's what it was. I didn't. Oh really? Yeah, when I was a kid, and I just and I would because I didn't pick those. Like there was, you know, Spider Man and there was Archie, and I was like, oh, well, this is easy. I'm oh yeah, grabbing Spidey Man. I mean, so. they treat Archie as if he's Fonzie. You know? Really? Yeah, they do. <laughs> like, okay, like, what, what is that. that about? You know, like. Okay. Yeah, it's weird. It, it's weird. My daughter watched uh, the Riverdale series, and I like some of the CW shows, but that one, I was just like, I can't do it. I no, just dude, can't. that that one is. I mean, it's melodrama. As, oh. As melodrama as melodrama could be. It is American Telemundo. It is. It is ridiculous. Yeah. The, oh, I, is they did a musical episode where all they did is sing each other's names for one song, and I'm like, "What are you watching? I can't do it. Turn <laughs> it off." Wow. Yeah, it's pretty rough. I mean, it looks visually, it looks beautiful. You know, they they have the whole like, um, you know, how Underworld was just blue. You know, mm-hmm. yes. The show's blue, so our, our Archie's glowing red hair looks great on that blue background but dude no it's um yeah it's not for me yeah i am not and, and i can say i'm not their target audience so i think oh, they're no, probably yeah. doing well enough but i'm sure know, the 40 sure. something dad they're like yeah you don't need to watch our show <laughs> yeah, yeah hey pat have you uh listened to any of our podcasts before or watched any yeah i um you have cool yeah, i you, you don't know, have to prove yourself i'm just asking because i want to ask you if you're interested in the gauntlet or not i'll tell you this I haven't seen a full episode, but what, what, <laughs> what I do is this because I don't really, um, I, what I listen to mostly is, is comedy podcast by like, uh, Theo Vaughn, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bobby yeah. That Lee, guy's crazy. A few names that we don't say anymore, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, when I was looking for comics podcasts, um, I did a spree on YouTube and you guys really stood out to me because I love conversations that, you know, aren't just about the topic that, that yeah. you come on to discuss. Like, too. Mm-hmm. like I came on to discuss obviously destiny in New York and to yeah. me covered. So we're good. I want to talk about everything in the world. See, you know? That's why I'm like, I want to get it out first. Yeah. 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 I that, know how that, we are that, on the show. That's what stood out to me about, about <laughs> you guys. Like what I do is I, 
I'll go to an episode, right? And, uh-huh. and I'll just pop in the middle and I'll see how the conversation is going. I'll, I'll see what you guys are talking about. I'll catch the vibe. And I did that with, with, with some of your stuff. And yeah, I, I, I like the vibe, but I do not, I will admit, I do not know what, what the gauntlet is. Cool. Well, well the gauntlet is relatively new. So. Yeah, the gauntlet is relatively new. Sometimes it, it judge, I, I judge it off of the vibe of the host. Like sometimes we hit some deep stuff and it just doesn't feel right to end it with the gauntlet. But the gauntlet is a question. uh, It's five questions from a game I bought called, I wish I didn't know. And what I do is I pull them at random. So I haven't even looked over them or anything like that. And they could get a little, um, Greg, how how would we describe it? They could get a little racy, but I think given your body of work, you're going to be okay with that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So would you like to take a run through the gauntlet? Yeah, you know, I will say I used to be scared what people would think about me online, but now I, I, I'm I not that way. So, yeah, let's do it. Let's do okay, it. cool. Here we <laughs> go. Right. Question number one. Which of these items should you wash before using due to traces of formaldehyde in the packaging? Is it A, bed sheets, B, socks, C, underwear, or D, all the above? This is where we really need to like put in music, <laughs> you know. Bed sheets A. Bed sheets A. You are actually in incor- well, you're correct, but you're incorrect it's because all, of the, all of them. All the above. Damn, dude. Yes. Yeah, Formaldehyde is in bed sheets, socks, and underwear. I didn't they, know. They got that. the corpses working over time, you know. Um, do yeah. You baby carrots. Have you heard the story of baby carrots? Yes. Is that true? Because so, I've stopped eating those because of that. Yeah, I can't do it. Uh, yeah. So baby carrots as as a whole is really interesting because baby carrots, like the pre-bagged baby carrots, yes. are actually the, the what they used to be the, uh, I want to say dysfunctional, but they don't have, they're, they're, the, they're the ones they would throw away. Like they would weed out, these are bad carrots. And one kind of uh, farmer is like, we're throwing away dozens or, or, you know, hundreds of pounds of carrots a day. How about we just peel them, slice them to be this big, and then we can have a new product. So that's how baby carrots were born. But they need to wash them in like a chlorine yeah. to get them to be preserved because they're already peeled. Like, yeah. it's not like a regular carrot. So, like, I I mean, I remember one of my kids, like from a happy meal or something like that. They color them again. Oh, yeah, they do that. Yeah. They do so much shit to those things. And then you pop them in your mouth, and it's just nothing but chemicals. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would say... To anybody listening, and I'm sorry if I'm trying to destroy an industry, but stay away from baby carrots. Just yes. peel your own damn carrots. Yes, yes. Yeah, so, question two, John. Question two. <laughs> if your plane crashes, you've got this much time to get the hell out if you want to survive. Is it A, 30 seconds, B, 90 seconds, C, 2 minutes, D, 5 minutes? If your plane crashes? If your plane crashes, you've got this much time to get the hell out if you want to survive. I would say, and it, dude, it's kind of rough because, like, I'm sure it, it changes based on where you crash. Absolutely. Yeah, I would think so. Like, um, uh, I'm going to go with 30 seconds. You would be incorrect. It is 90 seconds. 90 okay. seconds. 
So, I mean, where are you going to go? You're 36,000. Uh, well, again, it depends on where you crash. You know, if yeah. you're crashing into a mountain, you don't have 90 seconds to jump is it like, what am I? Is it pulse crash? Like trying to get I, out of It just says if you're playing crashes. Did you all see what happened at uh, United yesterday? No, what happened? I think it was no. yesterday. Uh, there was a plane. I, I can't remember. I think it took off from like Miami, but I could be wrong about that. Headed to Hawaii. And right after takeoff, one of the engines like imploded, oh, like no. like the whole casing is it's still spinning, but there's flames shooting out of it. They immediately turned around. No one was hurt. It was awesome. you know, it, it's one of those things where they're like, "Hey, we made it." Um, but it the the I saw it on Reddit, and then, and then it blew up other places. But um, the footage of it, you're like, "Oh my god." And, and of course, we just booked flights on United, so I'm like, oh, that's dude, that's but, so crazy. Isn't United the, the same company that that old man what was sitting there and he bounced his head off a chair? Yeah, it was crazy. They, they were like, you, you please go, you know, we'll give you this amount of money to go. And he's like, no, I, I have to stay. So they're like, all right, bow, 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 you know, doctor. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not real happy that we're flying United, but that's the package that my wife found. So, um, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. They, they, Pat, where as, are you right now? Where are you right now, Pat? Where am I? Yeah, where are you? Are you in New York? Yeah, I'm in New York. Yeah, New York. Okay. Yeah. All right. Are we in the city, New York, or are we just in the state, New York? Obviously we're, both. We're, but yeah, we're in Long Island right now. Long Island. Okay. On right. Long Island, I should say. Best damn tea I've ever had. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Yeah. That was a Sheldon. That was a Sheldon uh, Cooper reference. You ever see that episode? Oh no! No, oh. you haven't seen. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, or no? I'm gonna guess either Big Bang Theory or yeah. that little prequel, Young Sheldon. You know? Yeah, no, it was Big <laughs> Bang. He, uh, he, uh, I think somebody gave him a Long Island iced tea, and he thought it was just iced tea, and so he's drinking it, and he yeah. just and he goes over to uh, fight. Uh, who's that dude that played William Crusher in Star Trek: Next Generation? Well, we- yeah, he went over the fight Will Wheaton, and he goes, are you drunk, dude? He goes, no, just been drinking tea. Best damn tea I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Which, Pat, what's your take as a fellow nerd? What's your take on Big Bang Theory? Um, You know, I actually once dated someone who was super, super into it and defensive of it. Um, but defensive? yeah, like, because, um, you know, th- there's this stigma, like, they're... Um, you know, they're making a mockery of nerd stuff, but the truth is, like, I haven't watched a bunch of it, really, um, so I'm not invested in that argument, but, I mean, to me, it just seems like a sitcom, you know, S- sitcoms, you know, they pick their focus, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, f- Friends picked how, like, New York richer kind of people act at that age, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Seinfeld picked how sociopaths act, you know, um, <laughs> that shows just pick a focus and, and they, you know, milk it for jokes. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I have no personal feelings about big bang theory because I haven't watched enough of it to say, but I mean, it, it seems to me just to, um, you know, it, it does what a sitcom does. Yeah. Have you ever wanted to write for a sitcom or Saturday Night live or anything like that? Um, mm-hmm. you know, Maybe in the past SNL, I don't feel like the writing feels very honest right now, um, and for for a long time. And what does I that feel, mean? What does that mean, Pat? Honest writing. It feels like there's not, because 
the thing about comedy is right. It's in comedy, you go for the best joke, you know. Right. Right. SNL doesn't feel like they're really going for the best joke to me. It feels like they're setting up these skits and they're they have like a lot of random humor. Like, I mean, I don't want to criticize any writers, but the truth is that I mean, the, well, I don't the, find it funny anymore. Yeah, the, the question is what the question is. So I, yeah. I I will say things like um, there's that Tom Hanks skit where he's he's like. A, a, a Halloween guy mm-hmm. in a skeleton outfit. And, and the entire joke is like, I'm a Halloween guy, you know? And, and that's the whole joke. And that's not funny to me, you know? Right. And yeah. um, they're, I mean, they have great performers in, in some ways, like Keenan, great performer. He makes, he turns um, mediocre material into terrific material through mm-hmm. his performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they have guys like Dave Chappelle on, of course it's going to be funny. Yes. But it's, it's definitely turned from uh, must-see TV to, to at least not for me TV. You know, like yeah. um, for me, I mean, dude, like looking back, say what you want about it being like the second string SNL, Mad TV, they would at least, they would try for the joke every single time. Yeah, they didn't yeah. always land, but they All would right. always try for the joke. And All I right. feel like, you know, um, we're not really in a place right now where there's a lot of great comedy in film and TV. There's, there's not much going no, on. You're right. You're right. It's like, almost bland. Yeah, it is. And I think, well, I think people are afraid to be funny now because people are going to get canceled. And who are you going to be? If, yeah. Who are you going to offend? Kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, think, think, think about this. Like I was actually just talking about this, how before, and even somewhat during uh, this phase of phase, uh, this uh, current uh, Marvel movie thing where the superheroes are the blockbusters. I mean, it isn't that long ago that, that, that the blockbusters were comedies. Super bad. Mm-hmm. Knocked yeah. up. The, yeah. the, the, those 40-year-old movies, version, yeah. There's nothing like that being produced right now that's going to that level. You know? You're right. Yeah. There, there was a time where people went to the theater to laugh. You know, and... There were even movies like, for example, The Hangover, I don't love. But that does fit what I was talking about mm-hmm. in that it's a blockbuster movie that's a comedy. Yes. Now, if you see a comedy as a blockbuster, it's like an action comedy, a horror comedy. It's right, yeah. a genre element because people are obsessed with the idea of genre now. People can't just be people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so what I would love to do is, I mean, I would love to write more comedy. Um and I would love to write comedy for the screen. I just there, there's definitely a, a, an absence of it right now, for sure. Yeah. What's your favorite um, kind of genre to write for? I love just straight drama. Like um, just straight drama. Okay. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I love what I do on Destiny New York. Um, yes. And I shape that into what essentially plays out in many ways, like a straight drama with few genre elements but they are there you know right um, yeah but like what i watch um my favorite shows sopranos six feet under leftovers and leftovers mm-hmm. it starts with a big genre element and then yeah. it's done like there's you can look at it in a way where there are a few moments of genre throughout but they mm-hmm. really aren't it's all psychological you know um yeah. and uh, yeah like that's what i love okay uh, and I mean, I do love genre. Like I grew up uh, 
loving Buffy. I love Supernatural, for example. Supernatural is a great example of a show that um, did something for so long that it became one of the most unique creations of all time. Like mm-hmm. Supernatural, you know, it um it started out as a show that was like, you know, it could be seen in the same genre as Buffy, Angel, yeah, um, a darker kind of charmed, yeah. you know. Yeah. Very much in that same vein, um, but they lasted for so long that they had this thing where um, they would do standalone episodes, and they were the most insane things you've ever seen. Like there, there, there was one that was just um, this story about, um, you know, uh, I, I, I don't want to spoil it, but it, essentially it's this um, uh, guy in an old folks' home. He, his mind is creating a certain. Um, oddity in, in the world and the way that they handled these one-off stories was just so unique it, it felt as if um, you know we've done every monster of the week that we could so how do we then continue to create unique stories right. on yeah. a weekly basis and that became very very unique to me so I do love genre it's just that I think that um, I, I personally don't love to be forced to edit to all of my work so when I seek out work to enjoy that that there's less of that supernatural element in it now mm-hmm. i see i mean these you days know, you know yeah i always pictured uh you know with those two actors when they would get that phone call expecting to get canceled and they keep getting renewed and they're like <laughs> uh, okay i'll see you monday yeah <laughs> like damn we just got again like that's how uh, i always picture those two because you would think i think for i think when they first started that show they said we had like a five-year plan, and that was yep. it. Yeah, it was yeah. like I think it was like when they were, one was an angel, one was the archangel Michael, and the other one was the devil, and that was right. supposed to be the end of it. And then yeah, it kept going. And it was that season was yeah. the perfect end to the show. Yeah, and it felt for a while to me, it felt as if man, I'm happy it's still here, but they had such a good ending. But yeah. then it just stayed on for so long and did so many different things that, that it was like just the fact that they're doing this still is just so, so impressive that yeah. I do. Yeah. I, I did stop feeling that way, you know? Yeah, I agree. About season five. That is. Yeah. All right. You ready, Pat? Let's Number three, the yeah. human body is a walking germ, but which part contains an average of 67 different species of bacteria? Is it your stinky feet? Your foul mouth, the belly button you never clean, oh, the man. ear canals you completely ignore. Fuck. Um, I'll say this: if it's belly button, I'm so fucking skeeved out. Um, <laughs> um, got gotta go with mouth. You are incorrect. It is the belly button God, sir, no! that you never clean. You know, I heard something about that actually. That the belly button, like, it has some like horrible things in there that could like. Like, shut down the world that's, if it ever. That's where the zombie invasion yeah, came from. Yeah, yeah. that's Can where. That's probably... probably where the zombie. There you go. There is your newest story, Pat. Yeah. yeah. The zombie happened from the belly button. Your rom com. Jesus zombie. Christ. But <laughs> if, you ever, if you ever get a chance at a at a uh, all a from resi- a belly Resident belly Evil stuff. story, uh, Umbrella Academy produced the whole thing from belly button. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Question well, number four. <laughs> 
The place you go to get clean is actually dirty as hell. The filthiest item in your shower is your A, shampoo bottle, B, bar of soap, C, loafah, D, faucet handles. Come on, John. Oh, it's that loafah. Of course. That is correct. It is the loafah. Why did you say, oh, come on, John? Is that how you say that? Loafah? Yeah. Oh, loofah. It's loofah. Is it loofah? Loofah. You know what's crazy? That right there, you said loafah, and I'm so unfamiliar with using one of those things. I just went with you. I was like, yeah, it's it's loafah. But it is. I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried that Greg got all a little (laughs) offended about it. You know, (laughs) I, I, because language has been a thing around here lately, and I just saw. Yeah, I don't know. He's outnumbered at his house with girls, though. I am. So am I. But I find word humor completely hilarious, and I try to search it out. And I, John, I know how you feel about TikTok. I don't know about Pat, but I, you know, I'm flipping through, and I found a. It's a clip of a podcast, and this guy, th- these two, they had I want to say Jersey accents, um, and it, and it sounded almost intentional, like they were doing it on purpose. But uh, this guy's like, so I had to go get some Tupperware. He's like, what? Oh, dude, I know that. Like, you know that bit, the, the yeah. Tupperware. He's like, say it again, Tupperware. One more time. He's like, just the first part, Tupper. He's like, no, it's Tupper. Yeah. He's like, what? He's like, I, I've got a clinical doctorate in physical therapy, and I've been saying Tupperware my entire life. <laughs> Dude, that bit so fucking funny. It's funny, and that shit happens in my house constantly with with, with yeah. two teenagers and a preteen. They say stuff, and you're like, wait, what? What did you What did you say? Yeah. Uh, I I love how it plays out with them. Yeah, that's um, I, I think it's called the the Hey Babe podcast with um, the one guy is Chris DiStefano, um, and the other guy I don't know, but th- they're hilarious. And yeah, dude, I'm I'm on TikTok. You know, that's, <laughs> dude, it's my favorite uh, platform. Greg's uh, Greg, when he, I gotta explain why it's not that I don't like TikTok. I'm deathly afraid of TikTok because I downloaded it for a weekend and I didn't look up from my phone oh, yeah. for like 12 <laughs> hours straight. And I thought, I gotta, I gotta stop this because yeah. this is, uh, this isn't good for my development as a person. I gotta shut this off. The only thing would be all the, all the Instagram videos that you send me have the TikTok watermark on it. Yep, yep. See what I'm saying? I even found it on Instagram, yeah, and I just yeah. scroll through it, and I'm like, oh my god, I've wasted like 30 minutes. I gotta get to work here. <laughs> it's so crazy. I mean, I I am on that platform. I, what yeah. I create on it, I, I open packs of Pokemon cards on it. Um, But dude, I'll watch it. First, I mean, I must have heard um small waist, pretty face, and a big bag. Yes. Oh yeah, probably probably a million times. You know, my, my favorite one right now me. is that one with the um, where the uh, the the girl when they start playing the song and it's uh body yada 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 yeah right uh, and the, I did that to my wife Craig and she started <laughs> doing it. <laughs> I thought there's no way this happens, but it actually Uh-oh. happens. They actually anytime the anytime the oh no oh no yeah. oh no my my wife will turn to me and be like scroll just fucking scroll she can't take it she can't dude take it. uh Gwen walks around the house Gwen is my two year old daughter Pat and she yeah. walks around the house going oh no 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's very cute that's yeah. very cute well I'm gonna hit you up on there Pat if you're putting content yeah please do yeah it's uh just Pat Shand on there uh people think that my name is Pat's hand but. <laughs> <laughs> 
didn't even connect that. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Me. I mean, dude, that's followed me. You know, I um, I. Yo, come on. <laughs> the cats are like, Fuck, yeah. What's going on? Um. Uh. Oh yeah, Pat's hand. Um. Yeah. I met uh, many of the people that would be my first collaborators on the Angel comic. I met them through um, through being on the Angel comic forums and through doing mm-hmm. chat rooms. And my name there was always Pat Shand. Um, and I met the artist uh, Stephen Mooney, who, who who would actually draw my comic. And um, when he met me, he was like, "Oh, I, I thought it was Pat's hand." And, I, and then ever since then, I've been using that name, and it's been following me, dude. Every, <laughs> everyone thinks Pat's hand. That's that hilarious. Like a character you got to throw in there. Hey somewhere. Pat, uh, one more time uh, before we do the last question. Where can people find you? Where can they follow you? What can they help you with in Kickstart? All right, I'm um everywhere. It's at Pat Shand or at Pat's Hand um on uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, TikTok. If you want to see me opening Pokemon cards, I I also do cat videos and comedy videos. Um, just not as much as the open Pokemon cards because uh. Because I have an addiction, you know? Um, <laughs> are, you, uh, are you one of those guys that are opening cereal boxes right now in the middle of the store? Dude, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, this is so crazy. Uh, Walmart. I went to the Walmart, and I looked to see if I could, like a normal person, buy a cereal box, you know? Yeah. And the, the Pokemon stuff is in Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I looked at the shelf. There was one that had the Pokemon uh, symbol. And it was popped open, just one. Yeah. And someone had went into it. So I go there the next day, it's still there, popped open. The next day, still there, popped open, not dressed at all. The the, the fourth day, Walmart had taped the box up. Oh, God. Like, dude, who's going to buy that box now, you know? So so, yeah. so so strange. But, yeah, people people have gotten savage with Pokemon cards. Yeah. It's wow, I didn't know. I didn't know. I knew when they invented that game where people were walking around outside not looking Pokemon around. Go. Pokemon yeah, trying, Go. Yeah. yeah, and trying to was that you, Pat? Were you walking outside? I'm like, dude, I'm sorry I'm in your bush, but there's a Pokemon in here. I gotta get yeah. it. Oh dude, I play Pokemon Go all day, every day now. What <laughs> is what's crazy is like um it's weird how things fade into the public background. Um Pokemon Go is more popular and makes more money now than it did back then. It's just that it was it was so new back then. And while of course cell phones have been around for a long time, yeah. but this kind of quality phone was somewhat newer back then. So it was odd to see so many people walking around looking at their phone. Now you assume that they're texting. You know? Yeah. But po- Pokemon Go is is even bigger now. It, it really is crazy. Um and the cards, dude. The card, the the situation with the cards is so wild because people, um, people like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Logan Paul, these influencers mm-hmm. have have um bought into the hobby as investors. You know that they're yeah. buying these, you know, million dollar vintage boxes, and they're setting these new prices and getting people to be speculators. So huh. now, I, I was, I wanted to go to Target at the release date of this new set and buy a few things there was um <laughs> the restock lady was there because um all these stores don't stock the pokemon and the sports cards themselves they have a, a a stock person who works at the distributor drive and ship the cards to them yeah. stock this store and go on to the next store so the stock lady 
has her huge box there, and there's a line of people waiting for her to unstock it. So I get on the line. You know, they're going to limit how much you could buy per person, and everyone in the line <clears throat> is talking about reselling this stuff. And I'm going to go home, and I'm going to open it, you know? Yeah. And, and keep it. But, yeah, it's become this – it's like the stock market. It's like lotto tickets now. People, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. So imagine <laughs> it's like 1998, 1999. I'm working at a comic shop in Janesville, Wisconsin, Kryptonite Collectibles. And I was hired to be a comic book guy. Like, they wanted someone with comic book knowledge, and yeah. um, that was me. Uh, instead, I spent entire shifts at the Pokemon counter yeah. do, just doing buy, sells, and trades. Um, and I'm sitting there with my Beckett, and the guy who ran the shop said, <clears throat> you know, we're giving 40 cents on the dollar for this level card. We're going to give 60 cents on the dollar for this level card, whatever it was. And I'm just sitting there, and these kids are bringing stuff in. Yeah, and I'm just in there with that calculator, just trying to. I'm like, okay, you get this much in credit, or you get this much in cash. What do you want to yeah. do? And that I I barely got to touch any comics when I was yeah. there. Wow, I can't yeah. believe it's that. Oh, it was wow. huge. It was absolutely yeah. huge. Yeah, it was huge then, and it's so huge now. Absolutely, believe it or not, the way that it shot up in the past even three months is so crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh. It used to be that, for example, um, they do a new set every every three months, right? It used to be that when a set was not playable anymore in the actual game, you'd be able to afford to buy mm-hmm. the old material more, you know? Now, the older stuff, dude, um, I was able to buy a booster box, which is 36 packs mm-hmm. of a set that came out two years ago in December for um, uh, $200. Now, in February, that is four fifty. Yeah, in wow! Two months, it's collector value on skyrocketed. Is... It's wow! It's insane because it's it's a mixture of things. You know, it's um, one boom in interest is that uh, the audience now that can buy them um, as like thirty year olds who sure. are adults who have money. They were kids when they wanted these cards. Yeah. Now they can buy the cards. That's one thing. The other thing is these um, speculators like now Logan Paul, Gary V, uh, Steve Aoki. You know he's a yeah. he's DJ, but now he, his Instagram is about Pokemon cards. You know he's buying and selling these in, incredibly. I mean, I, I don't know if he sells, but he does these box breaks where you can get a card that's graded by PSA and it has mm-hmm. his name on it. You know, and it's it's driving up the value. Uh, to these ex- insane prices, and it's 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 driving these scalpers to go to the store to buy out the sealed product. Yeah. And I mean, at, at Walmart, they don't care at all. They aren't like Target. At Walmart, you go, if there's a line, the first three people have what what they can carry, and they're out. And yeah. then you get nothing, you know. Um, yeah. And they go online, like for for example, this box supposed to sell for about. I think fifty bucks. Go go on eBay, see Shining Fates Elite Trainer Box. The shit sells for like $120, $150, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's just a sealed box. Wow. It's and that's yes. So someone could go to the store, be the first, get them all, come home and make thousands of dollars. And it it sucks 
but at the same time it's there's no real way to stop that kind of thing you know it's uh, it's sort of like um comic speculation you know these um uh if a writer is hot like right now um uh J- james tynan is hot I-, I don't even know how to say his name J- J- james tinian you know um he's he's a hot writer he-, he he writes batman his creator on books sell out um so when he put out this book that you, you can buy through his site and i bought a few because it's it- mm-hmm. it's gonna eventually sell you know but i i read comics though you know so yeah, i have those yeah. for-, for myself too but um it does kind of burn to see these uh people who aren't interested in something yes. that i like coming in and just scooping it all up you know because it's oh, like oh yeah that sucks if you want to sell it buy one or buy two you know right. and then maybe make a little bit you know mm, and right. then go out there but but don't like rob the shelf and make it so the reason that people are buying it at this high price is because it doesn't exist because of you you know like they're right they're they're creating the demand and then reaping the benefits mm. i think uh, i remember that when jim lee did batman hush oh yeah oh yeah, I, that, I that happened like and, and it happened big in, oh shit, I can't remember, when Superman died, you know, quote-unquote, yeah. died, the Doomsday storyline. And that was just when I was getting, um, well, I'm pretty sure I think I was working on a farm, and I had some discretionary income to, to go start buying my own comics. Like, get a, get a month or a weekly hold spot at the comic shop and yeah. and get start actually collecting. And uh, it was rough, like for a kid to come in there and you had to wait till after school to go to the comic shop, stuff like that. And then you find out that, you know, a bunch of dudes in your hometown that are just random guys are like, Oh, this is going to be big. And they buy out, they buy out an issue or something like that. You're like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah, And, and and to me, it's fine to do like, to get one, to get two, to, to, to get a few. But if you're going to go to a physical store and just take everything, that's so crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, oh yeah, but before I forget, yeah, I, I was saying that it's um at Patch Chan on TikTok, Twitter, all that, and um if you want to support my work, uh right now, uh Destiny New York number one is in pre-orders through Black Mask, it, it, it's in Diamond Previews. You, you can order it through comic shops, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, let's make it a big first number one because uh it's an ongoing series. You know, we've um we 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 produced four volumes worth in just the main series, which is going to be about 30 issues. So if you are in for a long ongoing ride that you can believe will deliver on time and consistently, because it's already done. It's been done mm-hmm. for years now, you know, yeah. that's the book. And if you're into digital comics, comicsology, you can find you on that right. too, right? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Pat, here's the last question. Let's do it. This female fashion staple was originally created for gentlemen. Was it A, the bra? Did I say that right, Greg? Yes, John, you believe me. <laughs> B, stockings. C, high heels. Or D, corset. Dude, I was going to say, man, I I kind of think stocking, I mean, for sure. But also high heels, though. No, you see those, like, colonial dudes, you know. yeah. Who, Rocking those stockings and those like little um, like little buckle things, you know. Um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say stockings. Oh, you were so close! It was high heels. Damn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, good try, good try. I remember Tim Roth in the movie Rob Roy having some high heels. Yeah, on. 
Yeah. Now, you played the bad guy, and I was never so happy to see a bad guy get murdered in a, in a movie. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> actually a really good bad guy to watch get murdered. He's a, he's a great bad guy. He's yeah. a great actor, yeah. Yeah. All right, Pat. I think that's it, man. Thank you for uh, for jumping on here and uh, hanging out with us. That was the gauntlet, sir. Happy to, happy to play in the gauntlet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Greg, any last words? Oh, yeah, I suppose. I'm, I've been trying to think about new taglines for a while, but uh, I'm going to just stick with our my go-to right now, which is as you're going through your week, just don't be a douche. Yeah, that helps. Or just be, That's good. Or just be nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pat. Thank you very much for Pat. The Greg, I'm Johnny. Podcast out, everybody. Have a good one. See you guys.